0: section 32 of lador this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org lador by mary shelley volume 2 chapter 14 the pure the open prosperous love that pledged on earth and sealed above grows in the world's approving eyes in friendship's smile and home's caress collecting all the heart's sweet ties into one knot of happiness lalaruc another month withered away in fruitless expectation villiers felt that he was following an ignis fatuous yet knew not how to give up his pursuit at length he listened more docilely to ethel's representations of the expediency of quitting town she wished to pay her long-promised visit to her aunt and villiers at last consented to accompany her they gave up their house dispersed a tolerably numerous establishment and left town for their sober and rural seclusion in essex taken from the immediate scene where care met him at every turn edward's spirits rose and the very tranquillity and remoteness of longfield became a relief and an enjoyment it was bright october weather the fields were green the hedges yet in verdant trim the air was so still that the dead leaves hung too lazy to fall from the topmost boughs of the earlier trees the oak was still dressed in a dark sober green the fresh july shoot having lost its summer hue was unapparent among the foliage the varying tints of beech ash and elm diversified the woods the morning and evening skies were resplendent with crimson and gold and the moonlight nights were sweeter than the day fatigued by the hurry of town and one at least worn out with care the young pair took a new lease of love in idleness in this lonely spot a slight attack of rheumatism confined aunt Bessie to her chimney-corner but in spite of her caution to ethel not to incur the same penalty from all the array of wet walks and damp shoes it was her best pleasure each morning to tie on her bonnet take her husband's arm and they wandered away together returning only to find their horses ready and then they departed for hours coming back late and unwillingly after the sun was down mrs elizabeth wondered where all the beautiful spots were which ethel described so enthusiastically as to be found in the neighbourhood the good lady longed to go out herself to see if she could not reap equal delight from viewing the grouping of trees whose various autumnal tints were painted in ethel's speech with hues too bright for earth or to discover what there could be so extraordinarily picturesque in a moss-grown cottage near a brook with a high bank clothed with wood behind which she believed must be one dame nixon's cottage in the vale of buling and which she knew she must have passed a thousand times and yet she had never noticed its beauty very often ethel could give no information of whither they had been only they had lost themselves in majestic woods lingered in winding lanes which led to resplendent views or even reached the margin of the barren sea to behold the enveloping atmosphere reflected in its fitful mirror to watch the progress of evanescent storms, or to see the moon light up her silvery pathway on the dusky waste. Villiers took his gun with him in his walks, but, though American-bred, Ethel was so unfeignedly distressed by the sight of death that he never brought down a bird. He shot in its direction now and then to keep his pointer in practice, and to laugh at his wife's glad triumph when he missed his feathery mark ethel was especially delighted to renew her acquaintance with longfield her father's boyhood home under such sunny circumstances she had loved it before with anguish in her heart and heavy sadness weighing on her steps she had loved it for his sake but now that it became the home the dedicated garden of love it received additional beauty in her eyes from its association with the memory of lord lodore all things conjoined the season calmed and brightened as if for her especial enjoyment remembrance of the past and the undivided possession of her Edward's society combined to steep her soul in happiness even he whose more active and masculine spirit might have fretted in solitude and sloth was subdued by care and uncertainty to look on the peace of the present moment as the dearest gift of the gods both so young and the minds of both open as day to each other's eyes no single blot obscured their intercourse they never tired of each other and the teeming spirit of youth filled the empty space of each hour as it came with a new growth of sentiments and ideas the long evening had its pleasures with its close-drawn curtains and cheerful fire even whist with the white-haired parson and mrs fitzhenry in her spectacles imparted pleasure could anything duller have been devised which would have been difficult it had not been so to them and a stranger coming in and seeing their animated looks and hearing their cheerful tones and light-hearted laugh must have envied the very elysium of delight which aunt bessie's usually so sober drawing-room contained merely to see ethel leaning on her husband's arm and looking up in his face as he drew her yet closer and while his fingers were twined among her silken ringlets kissed so fondly her fair brow must have demonstrated to a worldling the irrefragable truth that happiness is born a twin love being the parent the beauty of a pastoral picture has but short duration in this cloudy land and happiness the sun of our moral existence is yet more fitful in its visitations Villiers and his young wife took their accustomed ride through shady lanes and copses and through parks where though the magnificent features of nature were wanting the eye was delighted by a various prospect of wood and lawny upland the soft though wild west wind drove along vast masses of snowy clouds which displayed in their intervals the deep stainless azure of the boundless sky the shadows of the clouds now darkened the pathway of our riders and now they saw the sunlight advance from a distance coming on with steps of light and air till it reached them and they felt the warmth and gladness of sunshine descend on them the various colored woods were now painted brightly in the beams and now half lost in shadow there was life in action everywhere yet not the awakening activity of spring but rather a vague uneasy restlessness allied to languor, and pregnant with melancholy. Villiers was silent and sad. Ethel too well knew the cause, wherefore he was dispirited. He had received letters that morning which stung him into a perception of the bitter realities which were gathering about them. One was to say that no communication had been received from his father, but that it was believed that he was somewhere in London. The other was from his banker, to remind him that he had overdrawn his credit nearly the most disagreeable intelligence a man can hear when he possesses no immediate means of replenishing his drained purse ethel was grieved to see him pained but she could not acutely feel these pecuniary distresses she tried to divert his thoughts by conversation on pointing out the changes which the advancing season made in the aspect of the country yes said villiers it is a beautiful world poets tell us this and religious men have drawn an argument for their creed from the wisdom and loveliness displayed in the external universe which speaks to every heart and every understanding the azure canopy fretted with golden lights or as now curtained by wondrous shapes which though they are akin to earth yet partake the glory of the sky the green expanse variegated by streams teeming with life and prolific of food to sustain that life and that very food the chief cause of the beauty we enjoy with such magnificence has the creator set forth our table all this and the winds that fan us so balmily and the flowers that enchant our sight do not all these make earth a type of heaven ethel turned her eyes on him to read in his face the expression of the enthusiasm and enjoyment that seemed to dictate his words but his countenance was gloomy and as he continued to speak his expressions took more the colour of his uneasy feelings how false and senseless all this really is he pursued find a people who truly make earth its woods and fells and inclement sky their unadorned dwelling-place who pluck the spontaneous fruits of the soil or slay the animals as they find them attending neither to culture nor property and we give them the name of barbarians and savages untaught uncivilized miserable beings and we the wiser and more refined hunt and exterminate them we who spend so many words either as preachers or philosophers to vaunt that with which they are satisfied we feel ourselves the greater the wiser the nobler the more barriers we place between ourselves and nature the more completely we cut ourselves off from her generous but simple munificence but is this necessary asked the forest-bred girl when i lived in the wilds of the illinois the simplest abode food and attire were all i knew of human refinements and i was satisfied billet did not appear to heed her remark but continued the train of his own reflections the first desire of man is not for wealth nor luxury but for sympathy and applause he desires to remove to the furthest extremity of the world contempt and degradation and according to the ideas of the society in which he is bred so are his desires fashioned we the most civilized high-bred prosperous people in the world make no account of nature unless we add the ideas of possession and of the labours of man we rate each individual and we all desire to be rated as individuals distinct from and superior to the mass not by himself but by his house his park his income this is a trite observation yet it appears new when it comes home what is lower humbler more despicable than a poor man give him learning give him goodness see him with manners acquired in poverty habits dyed in the dusky hues of penury and if we do not despise him yet we do not admit him to our tables or society refinement may only be the varnish of the picture yet it is necessary to make apparent to the vulgar eye even the beauties of raphael to the vulgar eye repeated ethel emphatically and i seem one of those by the way i speak said edward smiling yet indeed i do not despise any man for being poor except myself i can feel pride in showing honour where honour is due even though clad in the uncouth and forbidding garb of plebeianism but i cannot claim this for myself i cannot demand the justice of men which they would nickname pity the Illinois would be preferable far. And the Illinois might be a paradise, said ethel. We hope for a better. We hope for Italy. Do you remember Rome and the Colosseum, my love? Naples, the Chiaggia, and San Carlo? These were better than the savannas of the West. Our hopes are good. It is the present only which is so thorny, so worse than barren, like the souls of Dante. We have a fiery pass to get through before we reach our place of bliss. That we have it in prospect will gift us with fortitude. Meanwhile, I must string myself to my task. Ethel, dearest, I shall go to town tomorrow. And I with you, surely. Do not ask it. This is your first lesson in the lore you were so ready to learn of bearing all for me. With you, interrupted his wife with me it shall soon be, replied Edward, but to speak according to the ways of this world. My presence in London is necessary for a few days, for a very few days. A journey there and back for me is nothing, but it would be a real and useless expense if you went. Indeed, Ethel, you must submit to my going without you. I ask it of you, and you will not refuse." a few days you say answered ethel a very few days it is hard but you will not be angry if i should join you if your return is delayed you will not be so mad said Villiers. i go with a light heart because i leave you in security and comfort i will return i need not protest you know that i shall return the moment i can i speak of a few days it cannot be a week let me go then with what satisfaction I may, to the den of darkness and toil, and not be farther annoyed by the fear that you will not support my absence with cheerfulness. As you love me, wait for me with patience, remain with your aunt till I return. I will stay for a week, if it must be so, replied Ethel. Indeed, my love, it must, nor will I task you beyond. Before a week is gone by, you shall see me ethel looked wistfully at him but said no more she thought it hard she did not think it right that he should go that he should toil and suffer without her but she had no words for argument or contention so she yielded the next morning a cold but cheerful morning at seven o'clock she drove over with him and mrs fitzhenry's little pony chaise to the town four miles off through which the stages passed a first parting is a kind of landmark in life a starting post whence we begin our career out of illusion, and the land of dreams into reality and endurance. They arrived not a moment too soon. She had yet a thousand things to say, one or two very particular things which she had reserved for the last moment. There was no time, and she was forced to concentrate all her injunctions into one word, write, every day, and do you. It will be my only pleasure, replied his wife. Take care of yourself. He was on the top of the stage and gone, and Ethel felt that a blank loneliness had swallowed up the dearest joy of her life. She drew her cloak round her, she gazed along the road, there were no traces of him, she gave herself up to thought, and as he was the object of all her thoughts, this was her best consolation she reviewed the happy days they had spent together she dwelt on the memory of his unalterable affection and endearing kindness and then tears rushed into her eyes will any ill ever befall him she thought oh no none ever can he must be rewarded for his goodness and his love how dear he ought to be to me did he not take the poor friendless girl from solitude and grief and disdaining neither her poverty nor her orphan state give her himself his care his affection o oh, my edward what would ethel have been without you her father was gone her mother repulsed her she was alone in the wide world till you generously made her your own with the true enthusiasm of passion ethel delighted to magnify the benefits she had received and to make those which she herself conferred nothing that gratitude and love might become yet stronger duties in her heart though she reproached herself for what she termed selfishness she could not regret his poverty and difficulties if thus she should acquire an opportunity of being useful to him but she felt herself defrauded of her best privileges of serving and consoling by their separation thus now congratulating herself on her husband's attachment now repining at the fate that divided them agitated by various emotions too sweet and bitter for words she returned to longfield aunt Bessie was in her armchair waiting for her to begin breakfast edward's seat was empty his cup was not placed he was omitted in the domestic arrangements. Tears rushed into her eyes, and in vain, trying to calm herself, she sobbed aloud. Aunt Bessie was astonished, and when all the explanation she got was, he is gone, she congratulated herself that her single state had spared her the endurance of these conjugal distresses. End of volume two, chapter 14.